corner team in any combat sport plays a very important role. They offer guidance, advice, and try to keep their fighter in the right mindset to succeed. Sure, there's people like Joshua Fabia, who offer completely inane and incoherent words of wisdom. But he's not what the fuck you're talking about. Edmund Tarverdian, who screams instructions that really should have been covered in the years of training beforehand. And people like Eddie Bravo, who just seem a bit out of their depth. After throwing a Minari, you know. They're all bad corners in their own way, but we're not talking about them today. Today is about the corner teams that gave specific advice to their fighter, which pretty much led directly to their defeat. All right, so by now, you know the deal. Pristine Auction have been hooking us up with some pretty sweet UFC memorabilia over the last couple of months. And with UFC 281 around the corner, they've only gone and outdone themselves in November. We're giving away two really special items. A signed Israel Adesanya 2022 UFC Signatures Prisms, red, worth 400 bucks. Yeah, holy shit, that's pretty cool. And a Dustin Poirier signed 11 by 14 custom framed photo display inscribed the diamond. All you have to do is use the code MMAOP10 when you sign up at pristineauction.com slash login. You know how this works by now. All you need to do is that. You'll automatically be entered into the giveaway and you'll get $10 off your first auction item. So what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? That's the end of Scary Movie, isn't it? Follow the link in the description below. We'll be announcing the two winners at the end of November, so keep an eye on the community posts. All right, then, for now, here is 10 Times Corners Coach Their Fighter to Lose. Number 10, Henry Hooft and Anthony Johnson. Okay, so I think anyone that wanted to call out Henry Hooft for being a bad coach only needs to take a look at the roster of grapplers he's transformed into dangerous strikers over the years. Henry was a Dutch kickboxer who, at 18, moved to Thailand to train with legendary Rob Kamen before going back to the US to work with the Black Zillions and eventually setting up his own gym, now known as Killcliffe FC. But with all that being said, he did receive a ton of backlash for his corner work with Anthony Johnson in his first title fight with Daniel Cormier. As much as a KO streak as AJ had been on, it was no secret that the fight with DC was a tough matchup. Daniel was an expert at taking down strikers and turning them into shadows of themselves on the map. This is something I'm sure they worked on in camp, but unfortunately that didn't change the outcome of the fight. DC was able to take AJ down multiple times. By the end of the first round, Rumble was super gassed. Now, to be fair, he did crack DC with a bunch of big shots, but it wasn't enough. And when Dan dragged Rumble back to the mat in round three, the only advice Henry could offer was limited. Don't give up. I'm not a coach, but I'm not sure how that's supposed to help a fighter. Joe Rogan immediately pointed it out, and that's always a worst-case scenario, and fans absolutely blasted Henry for it. Not sure there was much Henry could do to help him, but most people saw it as a complete corner failure. The same thing happened in the second fight, and he was nowhere to be found as AJ retired alone in the octagon. Number 9. Misha Tate and Brian Caraway. Alright, it's fair to say the MMA power couple that was Brian Caraway and Misha Tate may have gotten a bit of stick, at least more than the Smash Bros. I mean, there was that time Brian tweeted Misha's rival Ronda and threatened to knock her teeth down her throat. Either way, these two were both fighters and they often cornered each other in their fights. I'm sure it was a couple that had its own challenges, but Brian got into the UFC before Misha and won his first two fights before heading to Japan to fight Takeya Mizugaki. The fight had been pretty close. Brian had been outstruck in the first round, but he got a takedown and in the second he controlled pretty convincingly. So in the corner between the third, Misha told her man, Hey, you can coast this round. Stay relaxed, all right? You're doing freaking awesome, amazing. The funny thing is Brian actually asked for corner advice as to whether to take Takea down or keep it on the feet, but everyone just tells him to chill out and do whatever he wants. Fight's already in the bag, mate, apparently. But it wasn't. He wasn't up two rounds. He took the third off. Takea won that round as well, and the judges gave the fight to Mizugaki. Yeah, I guess just egg on your face for that one. Number eight, Pat Barry, Rose Namajunas. It's pretty hard to find reasons to dislike Thug Rose, right? She's fun, kicks people in the head, and is an excellent martial artist. Well, Pat Barry also does all those things, but people were not happy with him after UFC 274. Why, you ask? Oh, you didn't see the fight with Carla Esparza? 
the one that got called the worst title fight in UFC history, a fight that saw possibly the greatest 115 pounds kind of just begrudgingly give away her title, like handing over the N64 controller for your mate to have a go when they came over. Well, most of us got that the last time these two fight Rose was maybe a little too aggressive and it got her taken down and controlled, but the game plan this time around seemed to be, well, to do nothing. The crowd booed the fighters at the end of every round, where the focus seemed to be on staying as far away from Carla as possible. By the third round, Pat Barry motioned to the booing crowd and told Rose, you're doing it right, this is what we want. Like, I suppose that makes all the sense for your game plan, but at the same time, in what world does that actually make any sense at all? Regardless that this is the entertainment business, it really showed that Rose was not doing enough to secure these rounds and she probably could have afforded to open up a little bit more. Rose did just fine in every grappling exchange and Trevor was telling her she's better everywhere, so why not be more aggressive? Pat's reasoning post-fight was also a little hard to follow, including mentioning a slippery canvas and again telling everyone Rose did perfect. MMA Twitter did not agree. Number seven, Sean Tompkins, Chris Horodecki, and Mark Coleman. Back in the day, a trainer you saw fairly often at the high level was a Canadian by the name of Sean Tompkins, rest in peace. In the mid-2000s, he was the head striking coach at Extreme Couture and even coached on the International Fight League. But of course, when you corner a lot of fights, you're bound to make mistakes. At WEC 53, Sean was cornering the up-and-coming 16-2 prospect Chris Horodecki. He had a tough old matchup against a young Donald Cerrone. Now, even commentator Stefan Bonner was talking in the first round about how good Cowboy's submission game was. At this point, Donald had 10 wins by submission. So after a back and forth scrap on the feet, it was really surprising to hear Sean demand that Chris come out in the second round and take Cowboy down. And just one minute into the round, he was in a triangle, and after another minute of that nastiness, he was tapping. Yeah, it didn't really seem like the best strategy, and he missed out on the UFC merger. At UFC 109, Tompkins called Mark Coleman's last fight against Randy Couture. More surprising than the fight itself was the fact that Mark shot zero takedowns in the first round, and this was the hammer. Everyone pretty much thought the advice from the corner would be to shoot, but instead Sean coached Mark to keep his distance and use the one-two, land a hard cross. Honestly, Mark looked way too old to be in there at this point, but whatever the path to victory, that certainly wasn't it. Mark kept the distance, tried to box Randy, but got completely run over. Number six, Ryan Parsons, Kalen Curran. Right, let's take a trip back to 2015. The UFC have just opened up the strawweight division and there's a bunch of new contenders flooding the UFC roster, desperate to get stuck in at the highest level on this new platform. One of those girls was Kaylin Curran. She came to the UFC at 3-0, lost her debut to Paige Van Zandt, but wanted to get her first win and went up against the Aussie lassie Alex Chambers. And Curran was smashing it on her feet. It wasn't even close. By the end of the second round, Alex looked almost done and Kaylin was clearly just the better striker by a hobbit mile. However, coach Ryan Parsons told Kaylin in the corner, give me that double leg anytime you want. He's a coach, don't get me wrong, but Kaylin had been an agent on the feet. Still, she shot the double leg as requested, fell into the guard of Alex, who swung up a performance of the night winning comeback armbar. If only she kept it on the feet, eh? Number five, Mark Henry, Eddie Alvarez. Not many MMA coaches have their own pizza parlor, but you can add Mark Henry to that small list. If you don't know Mark, he's coached world champions like Frankie Edgar through his title reign, and of course, Eddie Alvarez, among many others. Mark is a New Jersey native, and so has worked with tons of MMA talent coming out of the area. His technical advice is actually pretty legendary, as is his playbook of notes, combinations, and techniques. Unfortunately, though, he's also kind of responsible for Eddie Alvarez's last loss in the UFC. At least, that's what he says. So after the first fight between Dustin Poirier and Eddie ended in the no contest, they ran it back the following year in their own main event. And once again, it was an awesome back and forth fight with Eddie potentially pulling ahead. But after Dustin managed to jump on a guillotine in the second round, the two men found themselves on the mat with Eddie in this seated mount position. This is when Mark Henry from the side of the octagon started yelling at Eddie to hit him with the 
downward elbow. As soon as he did, Mark Goddard stepped in while Eddie motioned to Dustin's shoulder to show that it didn't actually land to the head, even though it's still illegal anyway, Eddie. Sorry, mate. Anyway, Mark restarted them on the feet and Dustin unloaded the combination and continued to flurry until he put away the underground king. Mark later appeared on the MMA Hour and accepted 100% of the responsibility. You know, I'd say definitely it was my fault. I showed the wrong elbow. I'm no idiot. I know what elbow I meant, but it's not what I showed. Number four, Andreas Michael, Alexander Gustafsson. Out in Stockholm, the All-Star Gym has done a great job of establishing itself as a powerhouse of European MMA, and a massive part of that has been Andreas Michael, the owner and head coach who transitioned from coaching the Swedish Olympic boxing team to mixed martial arts. He was responsible for the rise of Alexander Gustafsson, and even now is integral as the head coach and corner of Hamzat Chemaev. But speaking of the Mauler, I don't know if many of you will remember the massive stadium show the UFC put on at the Telly 2 Arena. It was only the second stadium show they'd ever done, and the second biggest attendance they'd ever had. They also started the main card at 2am and it wasn't even a pay-per-view. Go figure, I guess. It was a title eliminator though between Rumble Johnson and Gustafsson and as with a lot of highly anticipated fights, someone got eye-poked in the first minute. That person was Rumble so they had a brief break in the action but as soon as Mark Goddard clapped them back in, Alex could be seen looking at his corner as Andreas Michael shouts at the top of his lungs, front kick! So Alex goes, well I guess I'm gonna throw one of those. Whether AJ heard it or not, which he probably did if Alex heard it, let's face it, it didn't matter because he caught it and pummeled Alex full pelt with the hardest right hand he possibly could. Yeah, even according to Rumble, he said in interviews that he literally heard him say this, so he knew to throw this counter immediately. Alex was put on skates and Rumble chased him down and finished him. I guess 30,000 people couldn't drown out the sound of his coach's advice, which pretty much led to the finish. Number three, Marcus Davis, Tim Bosch. The Irish hand grenade? Who doesn't remember that guy, eh? Especially if you're from Bangor, Maine. Marcus was in the UFC for about four years and didn't do too badly, but we saw him pop up again when coaching other fighters from Maine. People like Tim the Barbarian Bosch. Sounds like a good name for fighting. And after his 32nd KO loss to a resurging Dan Henderson, he jumped up a weight class to take on the 10-year UFC vet Ed Herman. The first round was as fun as it could be, given that both guys were sloppier than Joey Diaz's comedy, and pretty much the only success Ed had was in the clinch, launching knees at Tim. But that was okay, because between the rounds, Marcus gave Tim some words of wisdom. Despite the knees clearly being a problem, he told Tim not to worry about them too much and just fire back with the uppercut. So when the second round got underway and Ed clinched the Barbarian once again, Tim stepped back and started trying to throw the uppercut and immediately was kneed right on the button. I mean, stepping back to land the uppercut kind of only made more space for the knees and yeah, Herman just shut Boach's lights out. Unfortunately, it had been almost the complete opposite of what Tim had probably wanted to do, but he did what his corner told him, so I suppose that's something Thing. Number two, Piotr Jan. After Piotr finally won the vacant title, people were so hyped on having him as a defending champion. Taking on the rest of the division, it just seemed, well, awesome. But that is not what happened at UFC 259. His first defense was Aljamain Sterling, and after three rounds, he was firmly dominating the fight, and it looked like he was about to polish Aljo off in the final rounds. With one minute left in the fourth, Sterling kind of fell into a double leg. Jan forced him to his knees, and they were left in this classic UFC stalemate position, where one guy is trying to stay grounded so he doesn't leave himself open to knees to the head. But apparently, Jan, after seven UFC fight still wasn't 100% up to date on the rules. He looked at his corner for advice on what to do and one coach Marcus Demata yelled just punch three times which is great. 10 out of 10 advice mate but someone else in the corner yelled something else out in Russian and Jan went on to knee Aljo in the face which was of course given their position illegal. We went to the commentators and Daniel Cormier explained that according to Habib another coach had shouted out to knee him in Russian. They showed the corner and the guy on the left with a backwards hat shouts something at Jan when he turns to look to the corner and then even 
celebrates after Yan lands the knee. Yeah, I'm not sure this guy knew the rules and totally probably gave Yan the wrong advice, but shit happens, I guess. Aljo and Yan rematched and the Funk Master took the belt anyway. And number one, James Thompson. Let's take one quick trip to Japan and Pride for the final entry on this list. Trust me, it's a good one. So most of you know about the epic Grand Prix events Pride put on every year, getting the best fighters from around the world to compete in tournaments, sometimes on the same night. For 2006, they brought back the Openweight Tournament, which was absolutely stacked, by the way. Tried Josh Barnett, Mark Hunt, Fabricio Vadum, Alistair Overeem, Big Nog, Krokop, Yoshida, Vandalay, as well as Fujita and James Thompson, who were matched up in the first round. Seriously, though, that's some fucking tournament. Fujita actually had built a nice little three-fight win streak, but was mainly a fan favorite who had a head made of adamantium. Thompson, on the other hand, was this big English kickboxer who'd just been brought over to Pride, knocked two people out, and got himself a place in the Grand Prix. So after about eight minutes of action, Thompson found himself on top of Fujita, who looked seconds away from being finished. James had been dropping ground and pound. He was moments away from getting his place in the next round of the Grand Prix. But I think because James had finished his last opponent with soccer kicks, and he couldn't do those in England, his corner had maybe fallen in love with him a bit, because at the same time, they all started screaming, Stand up, James! Stand up! So he did. I mean, it's not like he was in danger of being subbed by Fujita. He's like a turtle on his back. James threw the most labored soccer kick you can imagine, and Fujita absolutely fucking swarms him and lands about 30 unanswered shots before KOing him. I honestly couldn't help but laugh. Mate, what are you doing? I hope he never listened to his corner again. All right, before we go, big shout out to Pristine Auction. Thank you for sponsoring us the last couple of months. They are the best in the business when it comes to memorabilia and signed UFC stuff. And yeah, they're the number one place to get your hands on authentic UFC signatures. All right, remember to use the registration code MMAOP10 to get your hands on either of these awesome prizes we're given away and get $10 off your first auction item as well. There's more information about the giveaway in the description below. Good luck, everyone. You bastards. You know who never listens? Yeah, Luke Taylor. Whether it's Red Dead RP or editing advice, seriously, all he did was beat me at FIFA the other day. Big man about the office now. He did edit this video, though, so if it did make you laugh, go and thank him by following him at calltome underscore. Back once again is also Ben Rosette. Gotta thank him for always providing the intro music. More of his stuff is on Spotify. Just search Ben Rosette. Comment then, how many of these coaches are you guys directly blaming then? Let us know in the comments down below. Thanks for taking the time to watch the video. A thumbs up to show you liked it helps more than you know. And if you want to see more from us, just subscribe. It keeps us going and you won't miss a video. I've been the Silly Billy Boy Bailey and you can find me on Twitter, Insta, YouTube and Twitch banging out more content for you all. All right, see you in the next one then.